Lord willing, we're going to finish the book of Acts tonight. Um, Acts chapter 28, we're going to start at verse 11 in just a moment, but I want you to maybe go over a page or turn a page to Romans chapter number one. Romans chapter one. Paul wrote the book of Romans uh, approximately 57 A.D. Uh, as far as the timeline goes. And uh, notice what he says in verse seven. He says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, the word let there means hindered or prohibited, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul has long had a burden for the city of Rome and the believers that are there. Uh, Paul did not start that church. Uh, it is uncertain as to exactly uh, if there was an apostle that went there and started the church at Rome. Uh, most likely, uh, the church at Rome came from converts of the day of Pentecost. Go back to Acts chapter 2 that we studied ages ago. Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, as the early church went out and proclaimed the gospel on that day, notice if, if you would please, in verse number 8, the Bible says this is a multitude of people kind of speaking all at one time. Well, I, actually, let's back up to verse 5. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea in Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So on the day of Pentecost, Jerusalem being an international city, uh, even then was filled with people that came to celebrate. And clearly we know that there were individuals from Rome there. How many people got saved on the day of Pentecost? How many? There were 3,000 people got saved on that day, baptized, added to the church. Um, and they, it appears they, that many of them stayed in Jerusalem until the persecution began, led by none other than Saul of Tarsus, who himself later got saved and his name was changed to 
Paul, the great apostle. Upon that persecution, the church was scattered. And the Bible says, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So it is presumed that some of those people that got saved on the day of Pentecost who were from Rome, took the gospel back there and there was a church established. And Paul, for some reason, had a great burden to go to Rome. Uh, as we read in Romans chapter one, uh, he, he planned trips there on more than one occasion, but for whatever reason, he was prohibited uh, from doing so. Acts chapter 23. We'll get a little, little bit of background here and then we'll, we'll move forward. Acts chapter 23, Paul is in Jerusalem um, and uh, this is where that riot took place and, and so forth. Verse 11, and the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so thou must bear witness also at Rome. So Paul's plans are about to be fulfilled. He now has a promise from God, as well as, if you will, a commission or a calling from God uh, that he's to, he's to go and preach the word of God when he gets to Rome. So we've been studying that long final journey of Paul from the city of Caesarea, where he was in prison for some two years. Um, and uh, they started across and then they, they in Acts 27, that violent storm uh, that uh, threw them off course tremendously. Uh, last week, how many have your maps? How many have your, anybody need a map? I got extras, anyone want to buy a map? Uh, Brother Tim, Melanie needs one back there. I'll just give you the stack. If you need one, raise your hand. If you want an extra, if you need something to color on in case the Bible study gets boring, raise your hand. Brother Reimers will get one to you. Um, uh, remember last week, uh, Paul and his, his uh, fellow crew members uh, were shipwrecked on the island of Malta. In the Bible, that is called Melita, okay? Uh, the Bible says it was a, the, the people there were barbarians. Uh, it's doubtful there, were any, there, there was a Jewish settlement or synagogue there because there's no mention of that. Uh, that is where Paul was bitten by the snake and they all thought he was a murderer who escaped the sea and now he's, you know, the, the gods are going to kill him anyhow. Uh, he shook the snake off into the fire and then they said, nope, he's not a murderer. He must be a god. And so he had to straighten out their superstitions a little bit. Um, and look at verse 11. This is where we want to start tonight. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria. That's where the first ship came from. Alexandria was in Egypt, the northern part of Africa. Uh, it is where the, the grain was grown that fed the city of Rome uh, and, and kept those people going. They're in another ship from Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. I've always wondered why that little detail uh, was put in there. Um, so I, I did a little bit of research. Castor and, and Pollux uh, were believed by the ancient Romans to be the twin sons of Jupiter, the king of all the gods. Um, they were eventually immortalized in the Gemini constellation, you know, in the sky. So if you know anything about astronomy, uh, that type of thing, the, the twins or Gemini represent Castor and Pollux. And they were believed to be the gods who protected sailors. So 
Paul and his crew and all these people there, they, you know, they've suffered a terrible shipwreck. Um, I, it, it probably was uh, uh, a matter of uh, both coincidence and superstition that uh, these people sought out a ship under the sign of Castor and Pollux with the idea, no, no storm's going to get us now. You know, we, we've got the, the gods blessing us. It wasn't Paul's choice. Um, and so they, they are uh, going to leave. And it's, it's really an uneventful, uneventful journey. Uh, they landed at Syracuse. Okay, how many have found that? That's on the island of um, uh, uh, Cyprus. Uh, I'm sorry, Crete. And uh, they, they don't seem to have stayed there very long. They were there for about three days. Verse 13, from thence, uh, we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew and we came the next day to Puteoli. So they're moving up the Italian boot. How many are following on your map and see where they are? Um, Puteoli was a, a harbor, an interesting place known for its hot springs, so hot that if you actually went into one, it would boil your flesh off. So it wasn't like, you know, therapeutic medicine type thing. It also had the stench of sulfur. Why they built a city there uh, is, is sort of beyond me, other than the fact that there was a deep harbor um, and so for the shipping lanes and so forth, uh, that would be uh, probably convenient for them. And so there's, you know, after, after a shipwreck like they just went through, it, it's probably kind of nice to them to breathe this sigh of relief. When they get off the ship at Puteoli, his uh, sailing journey is over. Everything now will be overland. Um, and so uh, pick it up, please, in verse number 14. They're at Puteoli. Um, and they, uh, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. So some unexpected brethren. Uh, don't know how the church there got established, maybe from the uh, people at Rome uh, spreading the gospel around. And, uh, you know, Paul and his companions, we know Luke is with him. We know a, a man named Aristarchus is with them. And uh, so for them to run into some believers uh, after all that they've been through, this certainly would be uh, very encouraging and very helpful for them. Um, and they stayed for seven days. Um, Julius is still the centurion in charge of Paul uh, and the prisoners. And, and he seems to be allowing Paul a lot of liberty and freedom uh, and, and so forth. And they spent about a week there and they're finally headed uh, up towards Rome. Verse number 15, and from thence, when the brethren heard of us, that would be the people in the church at Rome to whom Paul wrote the epistle of the Romans. When they heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and the three taverns. Uh, the three taverns was not a bar uh, or something like that. It was actually the name of a city, a very small city. Uh, the same with Appii Forum. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting when the emperors of Rome went on vacation, um, they would often travel south because the weather would be warmer for them in the wintertime. And when they made their way home at that place, Appii Forum uh, and the three taverns, they would be met by a huge entourage. It was like a, a, pra a parade, uh, you know, like the, the winners of the Super Bowl get. 
you know, when they come back to their hometown. And uh, that parade would lead them all the way into the city of Rome. And many of the common uh, commentaries that I looked at said, in some ways, it almost seemed like the believers at Rome were giving Paul that kind of a welcome to their city. Uh, undoubtedly, messengers had gone back and forth. Uh, they were aware that, that, that the great apostle Paul uh, was, was coming their direction. And uh, so they, they came and the Bible says in verse 15, whom when Paul saw, he thanked and took courage. Very unique welcome there. That Paul was greeted in such a manner after all that uh, he has suffered certainly had to have been a blessing to him. He's, his ordeal is not over. Paul is still a prisoner. Uh, he is not a free man. He will never be a free man again. Um, as, as we're going to learn tonight, uh, Paul's first couple of years in Rome are not going to be all that bad, considering uh, everything that it could have been. His last couple of years uh, are going to be a nightmare. And the book of Acts actually tells us nothing about them. Uh, what, what happens, we know that from church history and so forth. So God is encouraging his servant. Uh, you never know who needs to be encouraged, do, don't you? Um, sometimes you see somebody and you think maybe they're mad at the world and they're really not. They're just carrying a huge burden um, and they need some concern. They need a little bit of love. Uh, we studied a couple weeks ago this idea of, of uh, refreshing uh, one another and so forth. First Corinthians 16, 17, you don't have to turn there. Paul said, I am glad of the com coming of Stephanus uh, and Fortunatus and Achaicus for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied for they have refreshed my spirit in yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. And so these believers at Rome that Paul has been praying for, longing to meet them, he wanted to go be a blessing to them they have, in, they have uh, instead been a blessing to him. Uh, so verse 16, when we came to Rome, the centurion, that's a man named Julius, delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. His job is done. He has seen his prisoners safely to where they were supposed to be. Paul is now uh, under the guidance and uh, uh, oversight of uh, someone else who's never named for us here. He's just called the captain of the guard. It may be that Julius talked to this man and said very nice things about Paul. Paul's had a good testimony. Uh, Paul's, you know, even though he's a prisoner, uh, he, he's maintained his faith and his testimony very well. Notice what, what they do. This is a sort of an unusual imprisonment, if you will. But Paul was suffered... That word means allowed to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So if you will, he's under house arrest. Uh, we know that, uh, it, it look at verse number 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. So uh, he's still a prisoner. Look at verse 20. And I know I'm bouncing around the chapter. I want you the chapter. I want you to sort of get a picture. Um, uh, Paul says in verse 20, "For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain." So even though he's in his own hired house, 
uh, there was a soldier that kept him. And most likely there was a, you know, Paul had a handcuff on one hand and the soldier on the other. And there was a little chain or length of chain between them. Um, and the custom of the day was that soldiers would work in shifts. And, uh, you know, uh, so Paul, Paul wasn't really free to come and go. Remember, he's still a prisoner. Most of us would chafe at that because Paul knew that he had done nothing wrong. Um, the governor way back in, uh, in Acts chapters 23, 4, 5, and 6, they all knew that he had done nothing wrong, uh, but he had to appeal to Caesar. Otherwise, they were going to turn Paul over to the Jews who had already decided to assassinate him. Uh, so Paul is there. Uh, he's got a very unusual um, imprisonment that is going on. But uh, we get to verse 17, and we see that Paul, it's, it's ministry as usual. It came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. When they were come together, he said unto them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hand of the Romans, who when they had examined me would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. He said, I wasn't accusing them that they're doing wrong. It was just a matter of defense for myself. For this cause, therefore, I read that verse. I've called for you to see you, to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, we neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, Neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And let's stop there at verse number 22. If you remember, Paul always had a custom when he traveled from city to city, place to place. The, the first place he went in any city was what? He went into the synagogue. Keep your place here. Acts 17 tells us the pattern by which he conducted his ministry. Acts 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. They're in Macedonia, the northern part of Greece, on Paul's uh, uh, third journey. Uh, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews? And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ, that's the Messiah, the anointed one, must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So the Bible clearly says this is how Paul always conducted his ministry. He took the scriptures, which that would be our Old Testament, that's the Jewish scriptures, and he would just start in the law of Moses and work his way through, showing them all the scriptures about God's promises of a savior, the Messiah that was to come, and how that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled those promises, uh, uh, particularly the ones about how he died on the cross, was buried and raised again, to help them understand that God's kept his word, your Messiah has come. Remember, Jesus died outside of Jerusalem, um, they didn't have social media. Uh, they, they didn't have radio, television, things like that. Uh, so news of that was, was isolated to, to right there in the land of Israel. 
So when Paul's traveling to Greece or Asia, now in Rome, um, this, is, this is like brand new information to them. And so Paul takes them through the scriptures to give them an understanding. I'm not just out here making things up. We have Bible prophecy, and I want you to understand that prophecy's been fulfilled. So that was his custom. So we're back in Acts 28. Paul can't go to the synagogue, so he invites the synagogue to come to him. Okay? Uh, he was an incredible guy. He always find, found a way, and his burden was for the Jewish people. Uh, that they might hear the gospel, that they might be saved. Um, so he basically states why he was there, um, that, that uh, you know, he's, he's appealed to Caesar. He's waiting for uh, probably his court date. And he found out that uh, the Jewish leaders there in Rome, they've heard nothing about him. His, his accusers back in Jerusalem and Caesarea, either they've not arrived either, or uh, they're not coming, we're not sure what the deal was, and, and they've heard nothing about it, but they are curious. Notice again, verse 22. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. The Jewish religion was divided up into many different groups. They had the Pharisees, they had the Sadducees, they had Herodians uh, who were followers of King Herod. Um, and oftentimes individual rabbis would have their own following um, and, and they would have, if you will, their own spin on things just a little bit. Uh, some, were, uh, some were really far out there and they were actually into a form of sorcery. Um, and, and they followed a doctrine sometimes referred to as the Kabbalah. Uh, how many know who Madonna is? Uh, an old, 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 old lady. Uh, she is a practitioner of that. No surprise there. Um, so what, what, what these Jewish people are doing, they're, they're talking about the Christians. There's a church at Rome. Um, and they just refer to it as a sect because the early converts were all uh, Jewish converts. Um, they said, we want to know what you have to say about this sect. Uh, all we know is that everybody's against it. Everybody's speaking against it. So verse 23, Paul is more than happy to do that. When they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging. At first it was just the chief rulers. Now it seems that they opened the invitation and so they're sort of crowding things out. Last night we had 16 or 18 men in my study across the hall. Uh, we got room to shoehorn a few more in. We're going to start spraying people down with, you know, olive oil or something to slide them in. Um, and probably that's what it is in this house that, that Paul is living in, that he's, he's rented, his hired house. Um, uh, so they, they want to know to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. Notice this, from morning Till evening. You know, we come into church at 11 o'clock Sunday morning, and buddy, if the sermon goes much between 10 after 12, we're getting antsy and, and we're starting to shake and, and all those kind of things. Paul was a long-winded guy. We're not sure what time in the morning and we're not sure what time in the evening, but it wasn't a 45-minute sermon, was it? Um, and he's taking his time, and these are Jewish people, and they have a, they revere their scriptures. And so Paul is giving them the scriptures uh, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and um, uh, so forth. Verse 24, verse 24, some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. It's always going to be the case. When I first got saved, 1972, as a teenager, being saved was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Um, you've, you've heard my testimony. In fifth or sixth grade, I began to worry about eternity and where I was going to spend it. I had heard some adults talking about hell, and I was terrified of dying and going to hell, but I did not know what to do about it. I went to a church that, that taught a false doctrine uh, that, that uh, heaven is something you earn by your good works, and you won't know until you died if you had enough good works to get you in. And, and that never satisfied the question in my mind because I already knew I had a lot of bad works and, uh, and, and they, they were still adding up. Uh, so I went to a, we moved, I went to a church like this one, heard the gospel, I got saved. It, it was, if you will, the, literally the answer to my prayers. Um, uh, for the first time in my life, I knew for sure I was going to go to heaven someday. I got saved on a Thursday morning, Thursday evening at a teen activity, they preached a, a, a very straightforward, hard-hitting gospel message around a bonfire. And there were probably 30, 40 teenagers gathered around that. And when they gave that part of the service, the invitation, inviting uh, people to come and, and know for sure they're going to get saved, show them the gospel, the youth pastor's wife, Mrs. Arthurs, came up. And the first time I ever met her. And uh, so she asked me my name and I told her. And she said, um, did you hear that question? He asked, if you died today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, do you know that for sure? And I knew I was so excited to say, yes, I do. She said, how do you know? I said, I got saved this morning. And there was just something liberating about knowing that to be honest, I thought everybody wants to know how to get saved. Was anybody else like that when you got saved? I started public school two weeks later. It was a new school for me. Uh, I was fresh from the farm and now I'm in, 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 the, in the city of Greensburg. Uh, I came from a school grade seven through 12, 360 students uh, to Hemfield High School, three grades, 2,500 students, 1,008 in my sophomore class. And uh, man, I was as lost as could be, uh, but it wasn't long that I learned about passing out gospel tracts, like the number up there uh, that we're keeping track of this year. Uh, and, and I learned how to uh, tell somebody how to get saved. And I, I just thought everybody at my school was going to want this and want to get saved. And uh, I found out that almost nobody did. Uh, I witnessed every day. Uh, my sophomore year, and it wasn't until the end of my sophomore year, I finally got to lead somebody to Christ. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I saw people saved while I was in high school, but uh, compared to how many kids I went to school with, it was a drop in the bucket. That's always been the way. You and I are not responsible to make people get saved. We are responsible to make sure that they hear the gospel and know how to be saved. Keep your place here. Turn back to John chapter 11. While you're turning there, does anybody off the top of your head know what big event happened in John 11? That's where Lazarus is raised from the dead. How many think that would be a big moment? Okay, how long had he been in the grave? He'd been in there for four days and Jesus came uh, there. Look at verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave it was a cave 
and a stone lay upon it. We're in John 11, verse 39. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, loose him and let him go. What would you have been like if you were there that day? How many would have run for the hills when a dead guy comes walking like a mummy out of a grave? Anybody like that? Okay. How many have been really spiritual? You've been, praise God from whom all. Anybody like that? I have no idea what I would have done. Now think about it. You realize most of the people surrounding him there are, are lost people. Uh, they're almost, uh, I think we could be safe in saying they're all Jewish people, but they're lost people. You know, Lazarus' sisters are there. Jesus' disciples are there. Um, and there's a, there's a miracle. I mean, raising somebody from the dead, that is just a phenomenal thing. Verse 45, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Does that not make perfect sense? Why wouldn't they? God has confirmed who Jesus is in the message that he preaches in a phenomenal way. But look at verse 46. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees and the councils and said, what do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation uh, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, uh, verse 53, just skipping down for sake of time. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. A hard heart is a terrible thing. It is an unreasonable thing. Even, even a resurrection of somebody from the dead didn't break through that. So in, in Acts 28, the very fact that Paul has, has uh, taken all of this time and used the scriptures... Um, and uh, some of the people believed and got saved and others did not. Verse 25, it doesn't surprise us anymore. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. They started arguing. The ones that got saved um, are talking to the ones who didn't. The ones who did not get saved probably are upset that uh, their companions are now joining this sect. What are, you, what are you doing? What do you mean you're, you're believing this? You're going to join that group. And, and how can you be a, a faithful Jewish person if you're going to do this? And it, it sounds like an argument broke out and uh, they're about to scatter, go their separate ways. But Paul has one more thing to say. He's got a very urgent message he wants them to hear. Look at verse 25. Um, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Esaias, that means Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, uh, the, the prophet unto our fathers, saying, go unto this people and say, hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. 
For the heart of this people is waxed gross. The word gross means thickened like a callus. Okay, that's what it means that their heart is waxed gross. They don't have a tender heart anymore. It's just not there. When, when David was being chased by King Saul in the wilderness of Judea, one night, David and his men were hiding in a cave. And you, you know the story, Saul came into the same cave, not knowing David was, was in there. And so David and his men went way back in the darkness. And Saul and his immediate, if you will, bodyguards probably, uh, you know, bedded down for, for the night. And on his way, sneaking out of the cave that night, David took a knife or a sword and cut off the bottom of Saul's garment. The bottom of every Jewish person's garment had a ribbon sewed around it. Anybody remember what color it was? It was a ribbon of blue. That was a symbol of the deity, uh, the presence of God, and they were identifying themselves with God. Well, David cut that off, carried it with him, and he's on his way. And the Bible says that after he did that, his heart smote him. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't maim Saul, but he did humiliate the king. He did disrespect him. And over that little tiny thing, David's heart smote him. And uh, David went over to a hillside and called for Saul and so forth. And, and uh, they had a conversation, you know, about that. David had such a tender heart, didn't he, in that instance? Um, uh, the, the prophet Isaiah was being sent to the Jewish people saying, uh, that's not the way they are anymore. The heart of this people is waxed gross. It's, it's hardened. It's calloused. Their ears are dull of hearing. Oh, they don't mind studying and all that kind of stuff, but they really don't want to know what the Bible says. They don't want anybody pointing out truth to them. They're tired of that. Um, most of us in here are parents. Some will be parents. We all know what it's like when we're trying to get some point across to our kids, maybe we're rebuking them or correcting them or something like that. And we watch and sometimes they might dare to roll their eyes. You know, other times they're just kind of blank. And, uh, you know, yeah, I've heard this 4,876 times. Good. You should, know, you should know right from wrong by now unless you're a really, really slow learner. But we understand they're, they're turning us off. They're not listening anymore. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying, saying that's the way God's people have become. And their eyes have they closed. I mean, think of the, the tomb of Lazarus. How could, how could you deny that an incredible miracle has taken place? And because of that, that this is the work of God. They deliberately close their eyes. They just don't want to see reality. They don't want to see the truth. They don't want to see God. So they've closed their eyes lest they should see with their ears or with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. The reason we don't want to hear truth sometimes is we know if we do, we have to change. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, that in the last days they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Just, just tell me what makes me feel good. You know, tell, tell me what's going to make me happy, but don't tell me anything that's going to bring me under conviction. If I'm in a church service and I hear somebody preach, I, I actually do want to be under conviction. 
if I need it. I, I want to be helped. I want to be challenged, encouraged, because I want to be right with the Lord. But these people have taken a different route. They don't want that. They're, they're satisfied with themselves the way that they are. And Paul is giving this final warning. He said, the prophet Isaiah, he was talking about you. And he, and he was right. It describes you. Verse 28, be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. The gospel came to the Jew first. And by the way, Jewish people are still getting saved. We support a missionary in Israel who is Jewish. He was raised Jewish, got saved in Southern California, and he's now in Israel ministering to Jewish people. God is still saving individual Jewish people. But you understand in, in the nation of Israel today, uh, it is against the, the, the law to go soul winning. They have to be very creative and very careful about sharing the gospel. Now, if someone comes to you and initiates a conversation, that you can do. But even then, you've got to be awful careful. And the idea of conversion, uh, yeah, a Jewish person becoming a Christian uh, is nationally frowned upon. Now that's going to change. That's going to change. The day is going to come when Paul said in Romans uh, that there's going to come a day and all Israel shall be saved. God's going to open those eyes that they closed so tightly. Uh, but Paul says to them, be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles that they will hear it. Let me give you a timeline. Okay, try to follow this on. You might want to write the dates down to help you out. In 57 AD, Paul wrote the book of Romans and sent it to that church in the city of Rome, okay? In 63 AD, six years later, Paul arrived in Rome. So what we're reading in Acts chapter 28 tonight took place uh, approximately 63 AD. Paul was in that hired house, we learn from verse 30, for two years. So 65 AD, then he went before Nero. Uh, sometimes, even in our country, if a, a court case gets appealed to the Supreme Court, it might take years to actually get there and be heard. Um, and the same thing was true. So Paul stood before Nero uh, somewhere around the year 65. Nero did not allow Paul to go back to that hired house. Um, uh, Paul was actually put in a Roman prison where the conditions were beyond inhumane. And in 67 AD, two years in that prison circumstance, the apostle Paul was executed by being beheaded in Rome. During his time in the, the latter prison, that's where he wrote first and second Timothy, the book of Titus and probably the book of Philemon. The two years in the house is probably where he wrote uh, the books of Ephesians, uh, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Um, so you've got a timeline. 57 AD, he writes the book of Romans. 63, he finally ends up in Rome. He's in that hired house for two years, 65 AD. Then he dies in 67. He told the Jews as they're leaving his house that day, he said, from this point on, the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles and they'll, they'll listen to it. You've closed your eyes. Three years after Paul died, 70 AD, 
the Romans destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They slaughtered tens of thousands of Jewish refugees that were trapped inside the city. The temple uh, was, was razed to the ground, uh, utterly destroyed, and for 2,000 years, they've not had a temple, and it wasn't until 1948 that the Jewish people, they did not have a homeland in all of that time. When we close our hearts and our minds to the truth of God's word, we're bringing upon ourselves catastrophe, destruction, danger, hardships like we could not imagine. Paul wasn't speaking out of spite to them. We know Paul's heart, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that, that they might be saved. He went on to say, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren's sake. Paul cared about these people. He loved these people. And he was thankful for those that believed in verse number 24. But he was burdened for those that refused, even though they knew the truth and they walked out of there. Verse 29, when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Went back into their synagogue. They're still debating the matter. Maybe a few more got saved. We don't know. Uh, this is the end of that matter as far as we know it. In verse number 30, we see um, this unbroken witness by the Apostle Paul. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. I'm kind of guessing they should have built a revolving door in the house because there were probably a lot of people in and out. Probably a lot of those, those believers in Rome were coming to visit the Apostle to learn from him, to pray for him, to pray with him, to be prayed over by him. Maybe they brought their neighbors, their friends, their co-workers in to meet this man. There may have been some other Jewish people that came in and for two years, he's receiving anybody that comes in. Imagine the Roman soldier that is chained to him. Talk about a captive audience. That poor guy, uh, he heard the gospel over and over again. And I would like to think that some of those guys must have gotten saved. I, I can't imagine, you know, being around somebody like Paul, so passionate uh, for the gospel, so eloquent with the scriptures uh, and so forth. And so he, the Bible says, verse 31, this is how the book of Acts is going to end. Preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. He never got discouraged about this. He never got shy about it. He never got to the point of saying, what's the point? What has preaching the gospel gotten me? I've been, I've been in jail for years, two years in Caesarea. Now it's two years. Uh, and, and there was that whole exciting, you know, uh, Mediterranean cruise uh, in, in between there. Um, the devil has a way of playing with our minds, but not, not Paul, uh, preaching those things with all confidence. And I like this, no man forbidding him. Nobody's stopping him. Uh, at this point, Rome's not stopping him. Uh, let's turn one last place and we'll, we'll end tonight. Second Timothy chapter four. This is believed to be the last words that the apostle Paul penned his final book. He writes to Timothy, who is pastoring the church at Ephesus that Paul started. We read about that in Acts 19 and 20 uh, and the, the great ministry there. And uh, verse number six, Paul writes, for I am now ready to be offered 
and the time of my departure is at hand. There are some who believe that Paul knew the date of his execution. Oftentimes, prisoners like this, they, uh, they had their execution on special days, Roman holidays, uh, when the Colosseum would be filled with people. Nero uh, is, is said to have been present at Paul's execution. And uh, the, the Roman mobs were, were very, very bloodthirsty. Um, and these spectacles, uh, they just, they, they, they gravitated towards them. Uh, so Paul may have known that in, on, on such and such of a, a Roman feast day or whatever, but he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I fought a good fight. I didn't cheat. I didn't cut corners, didn't break the rules. I didn't quit, didn't let down my guard. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. That ought to be the goal for every one of us. Amen. As long as we're here, let's just keep serving the Lord. I have kept the faith. He's going to write a little later on about a young man named Demas that didn't do that, that backslid and left him in verse number 10. He said, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. So as we read these final words, we don't read the words of a defeated man, do we? We don't even read the words of a discouraged man. We read the words of a man who, remember that, that last verse in Acts 28, with all confidence, it's there. He, he knows truth. He knows he did the truth. And he's looking forward to the crown of righteousness. And uh, he also challenges us at the end of verse 8. He's saying, and not to me only. This isn't just for me. This is for you too. Are you going to finish your course? Are you going to fight a good fight? Are you going to keep the faith? Because you see, the same crown of righteousness waiting for me is promised to all them that love is appearing. So as we close the book of Acts tonight, we have journeyed first through the ministry of Peter up through about Acts chapter 13. And then it switches emphasis to this incredible uh, Christian, the Apostle Paul. We've been challenged. Let's get the gospel out everywhere we can. Let's be faithful all the way to the end. The Lord's coming soon. Amen. Let's be ready for that. Father, thank you for...